0: Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Today, I am excited to share with y'all celebrity memoirs. Of course, you know what book inspired this, and we'll get into it in a minute, but before we dive in and I introduce my guests today, I do want to start off with just a a warning of sorts, a trigger warning, if you will, Uh, because in the story of people's lives, we all experience a lot of different hardships and heartaches, but especially in memoirs and celebrity memoirs, you will see a lot of instances of assault sexual assault, abuse, neglect, and I want everyone to be mindful of that before you dive into today's episode. Of course, as always, we keep things pretty lighthearted, uh, but there are tough topics that we'll be talking about today, so be mindful. My guests are more than welcome to shout out any specific warnings before they dive into their book. Once again, last thing before I introduce, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your media. We would love to hear from you. You can send an email to professional Book Nerds at overdrive.com. And then, of course, you can reach us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. Now, with all of that out of the way, Emma, welcome. Joining me today as well is my teammate and dear friend, Marissa. Marissa is a part of the marketing department with me. And we are both the the people who make up the digital bookmobile team. Uh, I'm going to start off with just a luxurious shout out to digitalbookmobile.com and at digitalbookmobile on Instagram. We have a big old truck here at Overdrive that I route across the U.S. and Canada, and we go to different libraries and schools and help people get started. Marissa, I will let you talk for a minute here about what you do on the bookmobile.
1: Hi, thanks, Joe. So you covered a lot of it already. We go around the U.S. and Canada. We stop at libraries and schools. And I teach people how to use Libby. And then our uh, school side uh, is the Sora app. So if they're new users, I teach them how to get started. If they're experienced users, I teach them tips and tricks. And um, we are going back out on the road in 2023. So if we make a stop in your city or town, definitely stop by the library and come say hi. I love to chat about books and all things Libby.
0: Yes, and if you ever have strange audio from me one week, know that it means that I'm on the road recording with my mobile microphone. (laughs) Very true. But Marissa is lucky. She gets to travel to all sorts of fun places and talk Libby. Um, And she is my cohort on those monthly sessions I shouted out in our episode a few weeks ago about making the switch to Libby. But... All of that fun stuff aside, figured we'd give you a peek behind the curtain of what I do here at Overdrive. And since I have my teammate here with me, it was the perfect time. Emma, Marissa, welcome, and thank you for indulging me in celebrity memoirs.
2: Yay, happy to be here.
0: So I am I am just going to rip off the Band-Aid, and I am going to start with the book that inspired this episode. Uh, this is I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. I'm sure... All of you have heard about this book by now. It is still here at the office um, on our kind of leaderboard. It is in the top five ebook uh, since day it released. And it is still the top borrowed audiobook overall here at Overdrive. But this is Jeanette McCurdy's memoir. It's a heartbreaking and hilarious memoir by iCarly and Salmon Cat star Jeanette McCurdy about her struggles as a former child actor, including eating disorders, addiction, and a complicated relationship with her overbearing mother and how she retook control of her life. Jeanette was six years old when she first uh, had her, when she had her first acting audition. Her mother's dream was for her only daughter to become a star and Jeanette would do anything to make her mother happy. So she went along with what her mom called calorie restriction, eating little and weighing herself five times a day. She endured extensive at-home makeovers while her mom chided, your eyelashes are invisible, okay? You think Dakota Fanning doesn't tint hers? She was even showered by her mom until age 16 while sharing her diaries, email, and all her income. In I'm Glad My Mom Died, Jeanette recounts all this in unflinching detail just as she chronicles what happens when the dream finally comes true. Cast in a new Nickelodeon series called iCarly, she is thrust into fame. Though her mom is ecstatic, emailing fan club moderators and getting on a first-name basis with the paparazzi, Jeanette is riddled with anxiety, shame, and self-loathing, which manifest into eating disorders, addiction, and a series of unhealthy relationships. So the, the book goes on to tell you about how these issues get worse, how her, you know, kind of roles in spinoffs worked, how things at Nickelodeon as a whole started to fall apart uh, when certain scandals came to light. Then her mother dies of cancer. And finally, after discovering therapy and quitting acting, Jeanette embarks on recovery and decides for the first time in her life what she really wants. So this book is handed. It's dark, it's powerful, and I wanted to hear both of your thoughts on it. Uh, This is a book that uh, I don't, like, I devoured this immediately. I was done with it the same day I started it, and it was moving. Before we actually dive into this, do either of you have a preference for memoirs on ebook versus audiobook? Audio. Same, especially when they're read by the, the author uh, mm-hmm. as Jeanette's is. And the, the, the audiobook for this includes moments where she breaks down while reading and they are all preserved and kept in. And it, it really adds something uh, to the story. But uh, Marissa, okay. I made you read this. I know you mm-hmm. wanted to anyway, but I needed someone to talk to about it. Please.
1: Yes, yes. You made me read this. Also, um, ebook versus audiobook, I think it entirely depends for me. So I think when talking celebrity memoirs, I tend to go audiobook. That is a voice that is familiar to me. Um, it's easy to listen to, and they're actors most of the time. Sometimes it can be an athlete or a, you know something of that nature, but um, most of mine were actors, and so they're practiced in like voices and things like that. Um, I also love a graphic memoir. I have one of those coming up in my recommendations as well. So it really just depends ebook versus audiobook. But yes, you made me read this. Actually, I think I reached out to you and I was like, have you heard of this memoir? And you're like, oh, I read it in a day, like the day it came out. Let's do a podcast about it. Uh, you have been trying to get me on PBN for months, literally since since you started. (laughs) And I was like, I'm too scared. And um, for some reason, I was okay with coming on and talking about celebrity memoirs, which is not a...
0: Not your normal (laughs) genre at all. Not a
1: genre that I am um, super familiar with. So I've read six in the past two months. I'm a little celebrity memoired out. Um, But... Jeanette McCurdy's memoir stuck with me for days after reading it. It is very intense. I listened to it all um, on my drive home from Erie Comic Con, an event that we worked together. And there were points in my drive where I had to like pause, take some breaths, um, and then start back up again, because it really dives deep into her traumas. Um, And I think relationships with your parents can be a very sensitive and touchy topic I think all of us have been impacted by our parents in one way or another um whether it's positive and negative and I'm really <laughs> I hate to say I'm also glad her mom died but um I'm glad that her mom died and that gave her a sense of freedom to fully detail her experiences with her mom because I don't know if we would have gotten the honest memoir that we got had her mom still been alive. So yeah, that was my initial thought was I'm also glad her mom died, which is such a terrible thing to think about someone, but. Uh,
0: Yeah, I understood the title, maybe almost immediately, or at the beginning, I was like, I see why she titled it this, but maybe I need to reserve judgment. And by the end I went, wow, I I get it because it is like a proclamation of freedom. It is the like, I am reclaiming my time and reclaiming my life. And oh boy, do I feel for her, I mean, the examples of like every kind of abusive relationship just in her mother alone whether it's you know love bombing or gaslighting or or any of the, any of the litany of things that you hear incorrectly displayed in pop culture you can see how they actually function in her relationship with her mother from you know moments saying uh, i hate you you're a whore i'll never talk to you again ps send money for a new refrigerator uh, all the way to like the the thought of bathing your teenage child and that like the only thing that really stopped that was iCarly and there being more distance between the two of them is is horrifying and and the the kind of like last description of the book that that comes from the publisher is told with refreshing candor and dark humor i'm glad my mom died is an inspiring story of resilience independence and the joy of shampooing your own hair and if you haven't read this yet Place the hold. Get on the list. I think this is an important one that everyone needs to read because Jeanette's story is unique. It is of a person who was put in a space that maybe it wasn't necessarily their want to be there.
2: Yeah, this was such a a compelling listen. I listened to this audiobook as well in about a day, and this gave me a lot to think about, especially because I'm a mom. And I am constantly aware of that thought that I could very easily like mess up my kid, or like you know what issues am I going to give my kid? Um, because there's again that influence, like Marissa said, no matter you know what your parenting relationship is or or what any of that is like, there's always going to be those ramifications, good, bad, etc. And so this book was just really interesting for me to listen to in that frame of mind. It made me feel better in many ways, uh, just in terms of my own, you know, journey as a a mom, but it was also really heartbreaking in many ways as a mom to see that this is the relationship that she had with someone who's supposed to, you know, be supportive and love you unconditionally. And there were just so many conditions, um, with this relationship. And there were so many things that made me so, so sad to read to you know, to hear about, especially the way in which they grew up. Uh, just there were a lot of things I I think unflinching detail is correct, you know, in how she describes her childhood and then sort of the journey to acting. I did not know tons about Jeanette McCurdy prior to this like I think I was just on the tail end of being a little bit too old for, you know, ICarly and all those things, but I obviously knew, about her new, you know, the show and things like that. But again, was just kind of a, a little bit too old when all of that was at its prime. But what I found so interesting was that she had her first acting audition and all of those things because of how much her mom had wanted to do that for her herself. And that there were so many times where she was very clearly uncomfortable with it, was very clearly not... You know, didn't want to be there, didn't want to act like a child actor. She describes one of those first um roles that she has as an extra, I think. And it's just like an hour on set, filming it again, filming it like another take, another take, going to the classroom, having some school, going back to set, filming it again. Like as a young child, you know, of six, seven, eight years old. I can't even imagine being a six-year-old with that kind of awareness. To being like, well, I don't really like this. This sucks. But my mom's really jazzed. So I'm going to keep doing it.
0: It it was definitely scary to see um that from such a young age, she was immediately like, I'm doing this because that's what will keep mom happy. Mm-hmm. And everything in her life revolved around what would keep mom happy? What would keep mom calm?
1: Yeah. The amount of times that she says, I could see it on her face. She wasn't happy. So I immediately pivoted like you're seven and doing that. That is really, your mom must be really scary to you. If just a facial expression can totally turn around, uh, any scenario that I don't know, I was just floored. I think another thing that I kept coming back to while I was listening to this was her dad and and other adults in her life that clearly saw what was happening. I mean, her dad couldn't be blind to her getting showered until she was 16 years old. It reminded me of the documentary, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, which was the about this little boy whose parents were abusing him and everyone in the family saw signs and continued to ignore it. And then when finally they were going to CPS, um, CPS didn't do a whole lot. And he ended up dying at the hands of his parents, despite the fact that a lot of people saw warning signs. And when you are a, a, a child celebrity, you have a million pairs of eyes on you. The fact that all of these people were able to ignore warning signs and continue to live their life, because that's just what childhood stars do. They restrict their diet so they can look younger. They, you know, date older men, like the amount of older men that she dated as a result of, um, you know, being abused as a child. And it just like being overlooked, I thought was also just so disheartening.
0: Right, from the moment that she learned how to predict her mother's next behavior just off of a chain of events, I'm thinking of an early scene, of course, no spoilers, but yet, you know, I'm thinking of like the pantyhose scene or then even later with the ice cream scene, just just these different acts that she has prepared for her mother's reaction. And her father, right, truly being so entirely checked out of everything going on, it, you know, whether it's the fact that he didn't think he could win uh, because her mother's parents lived with them and her her grandmother was just about as bad as her mother and, and where this all stems from, it, it's still, it's so like wildly inexcusable. Or even as she references the creator, him using some of the writing to create narratives where oh he knows that that maybe she's you know facing some disordered eating so i'm going to make sure that her character is always eating on the show that her character's main like point of existence is to talk about food to be eating food to always be hungry and just kind of all of these moments where he was manufacturing conflict based off of her own her own situations trauma damage turmoil of, of course, like you can hear from all of that, the amount of family dynamic and and kind of warnings around child abuse and neglect. Um, but I would also like, yes, the description does a good job of it, but I would give a warning to those um, that suffer with disordered eating uh, because that is a through line that almost every page has a description of how she's dealing with food. Um, so just be mindful when you pick this one up. It is powerful and it is heavy in in content but I I feel like it doesn't make you feel heavy as you read it. it does have an incredible lightness to it so it's 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 brilliantly written but that was I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. Marissa, what's your first book?
1: Okay, I'm gonna pivot entirely and give us an easy breezy memoir to to recommend. Um, so my first pick is actually the very first celebrity memoir that I have ever read. I think, Uh, It was the only celebrity memoir I had read for maybe 10 years. I read it back in college at the recommendation of my roommate, Jesse, who was in our university's improv comedy club. So she was like all about SNL. And so this book is Girl Walks Into a Bar by Rachel Dratch. Now, there were a lot of SNL books that she could have recommended me. Um, I mean, Amy Poehler could have been Tina Fey, could have been a a lot of different people, but she chose Rachel Dratch's memoir to uh, recommend to me because it was all about how um, Rachel Dratch was kind of brought into the comedy scene around the same time as Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, uh, Steve Carell, but she isn't considered to be as beautiful as those people And so while their careers took off after SNL, their tenure at SNL, hers kind of just sputtered out. Um, You might remember she was cast in uh, Tina Fey's show 30 Rock and then they recast her um, because she wasn't good looking enough. And so she filmed the pilot and then they, they recast her role Um, And she speaks about that a little bit in the book as well, because I think a lot of people were like, well, obviously Tina Fey hates you. Um, And that's not the case. She's like, I hate getting that question because Tina Fey and I are still very close. Um, It's all about, you know, I'm not as physically desirable as other people in Hollywood. So it really kind of dives into what it's like to be Someone who's considered unattractive in Hollywood, she's she describes it as like she's always cast as the overweight lesbian, like best friend, essentially. It kind of dives into that. You get a closer look into the world of SNL. Uh, She includes a few painfully hilarious stories about what it's like to date in New York in your late 30s and early 40s, which I can only imagine is like way worse than dating um, in your 20s, you know, your teens in your 20s. And then she also like talks about a little bit about uh, finding out that she was pregnant in her 40s with a long distance boyfriend she was only with for six months. Which was probably very shocking. So, I would definitely consider this memoir to be a quick and easy read. You aren't gonna find out a bunch of juicy Hollywood secrets or find yourself tearing up as you listen to the audiobook on your commute, like Jeanette McCurry's book. Uh, but her humility really makes her relatable, and her sense of humor makes her memoir
2: entertaining enough to fly through its 240 pages. I appreciate that she is pretty open about that because there is certainly a double standard in that regard where you can. And I think, you know, her book is from uh, several years ago and hopefully things are continuing to improve where you're looking at people's talent and skill and acting and not necessarily just whether or not they have a face for this or that. Uh, But that's what's wild to me because even 10 years ago when she wrote this, if you look at certain very high profile male actors um no give me a break
0: yep dumpster firemen are allowed to
2: give me a are break. allowed you're, to have
0: whole careers
2: you're allowed to have a whole career not based on how you look in any way shape or form in in certain areas and so i think that that's absolutely wild that somebody who is so talented and funny and is as you said like so iconic in certain scenes that SNL was not a more of a platform for her. That's usually such a launch pad for people's careers. And I, yeah, so I, this book has been on my TBR for a very long time. So Marissa, you've inspired me to move it back up the list. That's awesome. You'll definitely get some chuckles. My first pick is maybe a mix between our other two Uh, it's not super light and breezy but it's also got some fun moments and juicy gossipy moments i don't want to say gossipy but juicy insider moments and that book is open book by jessica simpson this came out in february of 2020 so this is a little bit of an older pick but my goodness when i tell you how good this was I listened to this on audio as well. Jessica talks about growing up in 1980s Texas. Uh, As Joe said at the start of this episode, there are sensitive subjects in this book. So keep that in mind uh, that she does touch on some things from her childhood. She talks about auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club alongside Justin Timberlake and Ryan Gosling. And then, of course, marrying Nick Lachey, your maybe favorite guy from 98 Degrees. And sort of growing up in that whole heyday of Backstreet Boys in sync, like boy band mania of the late 90s and early 2000s. She also talks about the pressure to support her family when she was a teenager, similar you know, to Jeanette McCurney's book. You have these people who look for you know, entertainment careers from a very young age. She achieved a pretty large amount of success for a teenager, and then having the that on your shoulders to be the breadwinner for your entire family is a lot. She also talks about divorcing Nick Lachey, which, you know, was a big deal, especially after their show, The Newlyweds. That was, it was called The Newlyweds, right? And she does talk about her relationship with John Mayer. So again, there are quite a few juicy bits in this book. And then also she does talk about her That infamous photo, I don't know if you both remember this, where she was performing. She had the high waisted, like flare jeans, the leopard, like thick belt, and the black tank top. And everybody in the media latched onto that photo and just absolutely lost their minds at how out of shape she was. And they couldn't believe that she was so heavy and so on and so forth. And if you look at that photo of her now, you'll be like, what on earth? What on earth? Um, So she does end the book on a positive note, though, because she does have her very successful line, Jessica Simpson, you know, that has apparel and shoes. And then, of course, her marriage to the football star, Eric Johnson, and her three kids. So it really does run the gamut um, of her life experiences. There are a lot of moments of levity. There are you know, difficult moments. And there are those juicy bits that I personally enjoy from a celebrity memoir. So that was Open Book by Jessica Simpson.
0: I'm glad she's bringing the tea. I'm I'm glad she's bringing the juicy bits or perhaps the edible body products. Uh, oh
2: cause... my gosh. Yes. She <laughs> talks about that.
0: Oh, I love that. And I, I wanted to say if you uh, this photo was burned into my brain, but if you Google Jessica Simpson iconic photo and the like the third suggestion in just on like the main page of Google is the photo of her in the high waisted jeans with the animal print belt. And the idea that that was any idea of someone being overweight is beyond wild to me.
1: I am screaming. I did not, I did not know what this photo was. I've never been one to like, you know, be super into celebrities, which is why it's so ironic that I'm on this episode. So I have never seen this image in my entire life and I am screaming. This is what? Yeah. She's like my,
2: her whole body is the size of my thigh in this photo. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely alarming to look at the body standards you know, of the media and Hollywood from like, I mean, like probably late 90s to like early 2000s to maybe like 2010 and mm-hmm. so on. I, I think before we really started to see a that shift in body types and body positivity. But if we look back to these things, like I remember this photo specifically, on like on magazines yeah. and like her weight was such a huge topic of discussion. I'm pretty sure she did like a Weight Watchers campaign at some point. She got pregnant and like, obviously you gain weight when you are pregnant. And that was just like, you know, oh how, how dare you? Um, but of course, as somebody that was heavily known for her body, like I'm thinking Dukes of Hazard. you guys remember that she was, Daisy Duke, like, you know, those things when when that's no longer what you look like because life, hello, you had children, et cetera. Um, it's absolutely wild the amount of pressure that she was put under to maintain that standard, you know, to to keep her body type the same from when she was a teenager. Um, which credit to you if you look the same as when you were a teen. Um, but your, you know, your bodies do change, you know. And fluctuate through over time, but she really holds nothing back in this book, and talks about things very candidly, and brings up a lot of memorable moments, like the edible <laughs> products, the body
1: mists. <laughs> the,
2: like um, I absolutely
1: what- own those and ate those. Yeah, they they would make your tongue go numb. Like it was
0: because you shouldn't have something that you can spray on your body and also eat
1: okay but you know what lip smackers like oh my gosh there was this lip balm or this lip gloss rather that I had when I was a kid that truly tasted like candy apples and I would have my mom buy it and then literally just like spoon it into my mouth like I would not even wear it on my lips so when her edible line came out I was like, mom, please get me the entire set.
0: Mom, please. I need body whipped cream. So wild. Um, Emma, does she talk about, uh, is it chicken or tuna?
2: She does talk about that moment on the newlyweds show. I I
0: figured that was the other edible moment she would talk about. Um, And of course, my knowledge of Weight Watchers knows no bounds, but she had started a campaign as a Weight Watcher spokesperson and then got pregnant and you cannot do Weight Watchers while pregnant. Uh, which is why she was
2: okay. so
0: shortly connected.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's there. So, yeah, of course, she was very much in the public eye during her marriage to Nick Cliche, mm-hmm. And there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there about that, as one would assume, because their marriage was a huge deal. And I won't spoil it for you if you want to listen to it. But. I was really fascinated in terms of like how everything went down and even like what their relationship is now, which again, listen, if you want to know how things ended or shook out wait. with Nick Lachey.
0: Cannot wait.
1: Is, isn't there a complicated relationship with her parents as well? Like, isn't oh, does her she dad have like, like a... their manager? Yes. And I say their manager, because Ashley was also like in the spotlight for a while, too, until actually she went on SNL and had like the
2: lip syncing kind of controversy. Yeah. Yeah. There are mentions of obviously her sister and her sister's career, the relationship she had with her father, you know, you know, and his role in managing certain things. I would definitely give this a listen because that's also a a thing that I think is quite common is where you have a parent as, you know, as a manager, like in a, some type of, you know, business role uh, where those lines really blur between, you know, what part of that is your career and, and what part of it is, you know, your real life.
0: And why we see so many of those lines of uh, doing this to take care of your family.
2: Yeah, exactly. And putting a lot of that again, breadwinner pressure onto and these young tween. kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine being like the support of your family as a teen.
0: Absolutely not.
2: So, and she's really, I mean, she, I will give her so, so much credit. She's just like she's made so much of herself. Like she had a billion, a billion-dollar apparel line. And there were people who didn't who didn't want to support her who didn't want her to have these things. And she was like, no, thank you. I, I will do this.
1: Before we move on, can I just say, we have had three recommendations so far and they're all about policing women's bodies Is a as a theme here.
0: Policing women's bodies. And that's what it comes down to, that someone that isn't them, that's the public eye, that's the man signing the check, that's the family who's saying that if you don't work you don't feed us and it's your fault policing how these women have looked how they have carried themselves and how they've basically forged their trauma
1: it makes you wonder is the uh, spotlight worth it
0: yeah for real
2: and i did just see that they are making a pilot tv show uh based on open book with uh John Samos and Caitlin Tarver. So that was just announced yesterday. So definitely check out open book before they adapt it into a an Amazon pilot.
0: Dang. Come on, Jessica Simpson. Honestly, get those checks and I hope uh pieces of me plays in an episode so Ashley can get some money too. Oh my gosh.
2: Thriving.
0: <laughs> Who doesn't love Pieces that of Me? That was
2: such a good <laughs> album though. We could talk about, I mean, that's not related to any type of book. But I could talk about. But we could talk about Ashley Simpson's debut album.
0: Her discography for a
2: minute. (laughs) 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 1000%.
0: So my next book is a cheery turn for my list. Uh, This is I've Got This Round, More Tales of Debauchery by the YouTube sensation Mamrie Hart. So if you are not familiar with Mamrie Hart, Uh, She was part of that kind of like early 2010s YouTube boom of folks who just kind of uh, put their lives online in some way or another. Some of her friends were vloggers. You may know Grace Helbig. Uh, You may know Hannah Hart from My Drunk Kitchen. But Mamrie's whole show conceit is called You Deserve a Drink. And she would take something happening in pop culture and make a themed drink. And while she was showing you how to make the drink, she'd make terrible puns about that person. Uh, So if she was, you know, doing a drink about Jessica Simpson, which she might have. Uh, She would have given it a fun name and then there would be a bunch of terrible Jessica Simpson puns. Her first book uh, was titled You Deserve a Drink, the same as her series. And it was her riotously funny collection of boozy misadventures. But in I've Got This Round, Mamrie took the approach of after finishing her first book, wanting to live her life creating memories. So her first book was kind of more, I would say, closer to a memoir and like these were all the things that had happened. But when she set out to write this one, it was about things that she wanted to experience. So she had grown up wanting to go to this uh, like (laughs) honeymoon retreat in the Poconos that had a uh, champagne or a a martini glass shaped hot tub in the center of the room and so she decided for this book she was going to book it and go. So uh, this was her kind of like entrance into her 30s and finding herself single for the first time since college and so she just kind of was emboldened by the confidence that comes with the end of the 20s and newfound independence of an attachment-free lifestyle. So she commits herself to living life with even more spirit, adventure, and heart than before. Uh, She dives into new experiences at full tilt and seeks out once-in-a-lifetime opportunities like meeting the chicks, uh, bucket list goals like visiting Moulin Rouge, and madcap adventures like going anchors away on a Backstreet Boys cruise, all while diving back into the dating world for the first time in a decade. So you'll find uh, the same shameless honesty that was in You Deserve a Drink, Um, But she doubles down on her strong female friendships, her willingness to engage in shenanigans, and her inimitable candor taking the reader along for a ride. It's so much fun. Mamrie will put a smile on your face at every turn. And read or listen, it's a joy. Uh, This is one that you can kind of go either way, but her voice is something that, like, is always going to make you smile. So that's I've Got This Round by Mamrie Hart. to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts, head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
2: I love Memory Heart. I had I had forgotten this book, but this is like peak. I don't even know what year, 2018. Okay, yeah, Mamrie, Grace, like, just, they're kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. They're just, they were so funny and spontaneous in their choices and their YouTube channels.
0: And for those of you who are saying, but Joe, that's not a celebrity memoir, she's a celebrity to me.
1: I would fully say that internet influencers are celebrities of our time, like, If you have a million followers on Instagram, you are a celebrity. I don't know who this person is. You'll find that I'm often out of the loop when it comes to many a celebrity, but the amount of times you have told me about this hot tub, I know for a fact that if the digital bookmobile ever goes to the Poconos, that you will be booking me that hotel room just so (laughs) you can hear what it's like. So my second recommendation is We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story by Simu Liu, best known for his role as Shang-Chi in the Marvel film Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I actually chose to read this because I was a fan of Liu in the Canadian TV show Kim's Convenience, which was one of the shows that my husband and I discovered in the early pandemic. Now, if you've seen Kim's Convenience or you do watch Kim's Convenience, just know that there are some problematic themes in the show. But overall, I think it is uh, really nice. Um, It is a wonderful show with an all Asian cast, which I think is really important. And Liu also feels is really important as well. Um, You learn that in his memoir. So his memoir is broken up into three acts. Uh, Act one centers around his childhood in China, his parents journey in gaining uh, Canadian citizenship, and then he lays the foundation of the expectations that his parents had for his future. In act two, Liu details how he continuously failed to live up to those parents expectations, and then the abuse that he endured because of it. And then in the uh, third act, he chronicles his experience as a struggling actor, securing the role of a lifetime as shang Chai, and why representation in Hollywood is so important. He specifically talks about why it was really important for there to be an Asian lead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's a reason this book is so popular on Libby. It's heartfelt, it's funny, it's inspirational. And as someone who grew up in the 90s and had most of my awkward years in the early 2000s, I was eating up the pop culture references that he made throughout this book. It was just so good. I highly recommend it. Um, and I, I would say my favorite part of the entire book was learning about his parents journey, moving from China to Canada. They spent some time in the U S as well. It, uh, allows you to learn a lot about what it was like to be Chinese during that time where they were limiting you to one child, one boy child. Um, and they, you know, they had a really hard time it does not excuse any of the behavior they had towards Simu Liu when he was growing up. Um, I think my one issue with this book is that it kind of like glosses over, um, really like what his parents kind of put him through Um, I think because it's just generally accepted in the uh, as an Asian immigrant that your parents are going to be hard on you because they had hard lives and they want a better life for you and so it kind of excuses like the child abuse honestly that they they like put their kids through but um, overall I think it was a really good book
0: I'm excited for this one, especially now that you've told me that there are a lot of great 90s references in it. That will get me every time. Uh, But that that is really important to note the like it is it is tough that, you know, maybe he's not at his journey where he needs to kind of address the way that relationship and, you know, kind of the dichotomy of being and, you know, an Asian immigrant in America, you know, how that how that treated you know, how his parents treated him and and what was kind of societal expectations, what was cultural expectations. and
1: He fully goes into detail about all of those things. I think what is hard is that there's never really a resolution. Like, basically, they were like, we want you to be a businessman. You have to do this. He details, like, how he continuously fails and, like, how they – treat him poorly because of it and then all of a sudden when he's like a successful movie star they're like okay with it and there's no in between that there's no like what they did to like decide that they were okay with this it was like oh you found success
2: all right it's okay you're not a businessman then yeah that's interesting I have a lot of thoughts on this I'm really excited to read this. And I also just Googled and we're like the same age and that for some reason is stressing me out because I don't anyways, that's a whole other thing. Um, but I'm interested to read this and see some of the nineties references. Cause obviously I relate to that. I don't know why I would have ever talked about this on the podcast, but um, I am also, well, I'm 50% Japanese. My father is Japanese and he was born in the United States. My grandparents were born in the United States. His grandparents were from Japan. But there were a lot of things that I dealt with growing up where people made assumptions about me based on being Japanese and my last name. And things that I think were quite trivial at the time, um, like why was I not better at math if I was Japanese? And did I speak Japanese? And I was like, no, uh, you know, how, if I was from there, if I was aware of my relatives from there. And so I think there are certainly expectations that maybe parents have based on where they grew up in the culture and things like that. But from my experience, like my parents were not like that in, in any way, although I only have a uh, you know, my dad's Japanese. But I do think there are a lot of expectations that other people put upon me. And I can see some of that in this, you know, the stereotypes that you sort of expect from people based on, you know, what based on being Japanese or or Asian or whatever. So I think that that's a really interesting layer as well. In making sure that we're more cognizant of the things that we ask people that maybe are not based on anything other than outdated views or stereotypes or whatever. I don't know. I just have a lot of thoughts because that was certainly something that always bothered me growing up. Every single time people would read my last name and, you know, which was a Japanese name, they would say, "Oh, do you speak it?" Like every single time wow. And so I think some of those things, and in my opinion, it wasn't, it's not even that like, (laughs) like, it's not even that Asian is the comment that I'm making, even though, you know, but I just think it's really interesting that he sort of is, you know, grappling with that in both his own home. And then also a lot of the cultural stereotypes that he's, you know, trying to break barriers through in Hollywood and things like that, you know, seeing more representation uh, for people in film and television, I think is is wild. Like I'm happy to see a lot more Asian representation in things in the last several years um, because there are lots of moments to them that I just relate to. And it's nice to see those things that are familiar to you that you maybe haven't seen before. And I say that as a person that looks extremely Caucasian. So like, and I'm not, there's no tiny violin here.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Emma. Like the perspective is is so helpful and and I, I
2: really appreciate it. So this has gone right up my list as well. Man, I'm going to have so many holds on audiobooks after this episode.
0: That's okay. A good
2: problem to have. Like I'm literally placing things on hold as we sit in here.
1: <laughs> and he reads, he is the narrator for the audiobook version. He does so well with it. Very, very good. Um, and Emma, yeah, your point I think is it, it's what this book is all about. He's talking about the importance of shang um as an asian actor in hollywood is so important because it's not that typical role that asian actors get of like oh you're going to be the enemy who knows karate who's like an a ninja who breaks in and like no you know like the kill bill kind of like enemy it's someone that you're actually seeing them in a positive light, and it's not just a bunch of stereotypical like Asian characteristics. It's a hero story. And people who um, have uh, immigrant parents who who, you know, face those stereotypes, Their entire lives, whether they look white and have an Asian name or they look Asian and have a traditional name, I think it's really important for those people to see themselves reflected in media that isn't blanketed in stereotypes. So that was We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin
2: story by Simu Liu. My next pick is something that comes out in November. So put this on your hold and Libby now, but it is, have I told you this already stories? I don't want to forget to remember by Lauren Graham and I love Lauren Graham, like Gilmore girls stand forever. She came out with her essay collection talking as fast as I can several years ago. And so I was really, really excited to see her return to publishing, uh, with this new book. Have I told you this already? I also love the subtitle. I think it's hard to come up with a good subtitle, but stories I don't want to forget to remember because that's how I feel these days where I have to write down absolutely everything, or it's immediately out of my brain. So from the publisher, they wrote about this book that Lauren Graham has graced countless television screens with her quick-witted characters and hilarious talk show appearances, earning her a reputation as a pop culture icon. Also, shout out Parenthood. In her latest book, Have I Told You This Already, Graham combines her signature sense of humor with down-to-earth storytelling. Graham shares personal stories about her life and career, From her early days spent pounding the pavement as a waitress in New York City to living on her aunt's couch during her first Los Angeles pilot season to thoughts on aging gracefully in Hollywood. In R.I.P. Barney's New York, Graham writes about an early job as a salesperson at the legendary department store and the time she inadvertently shoplifted from it. In Ryan Gosling Cannot Confirm, she attempts to navigate the unspoken rules of Hollywood hierarchies. In Boobs of the 90s, she worries her bras haven't kept up with the times. And in Actory Factory, she recounts what a day in the life of an actor looks like, unless you're Brad Pitt. Filled with surprising anecdotes, sage advice, and laugh-out-loud observations, these all-new original essays showcase the winning charm and wry humor that have delighted Graham's millions of fans. Yes, to all of it. Uh, Yeah, so this is Have I Told You This Already by Lauren Graham. This is out November 15th.
0: So for my next pick, I'm actually just going to do a double header here. We're going to pair my next two together uh, because the first one is the very first celebrity memoir I got into the first one I read. And then the other one is, uh, I, I mean, honestly, these two kind of go together and I don't actually know like chicken and the egg here, which one was first, um, but I know that these two combined had me in a chokehold and got me into the love of celebrity memoirs. So my the, the I th- I think, now that I'm questioning everything, might be my first celebrity memoir is Storytelling by Tory Spelling. Look. <laughs> I have to say it was the early 2010s there was the threat of a 90210 reboot um i am not old enough to have watched the original 90210 when it came on so i don't know why that was important to me but as a young queer kid trying to discover himself dory spelling had me in a chokehold she was known as like Um, a a gay icon. She was known for all of these just like silly kind of offhanded things. Um, Similar to uh, Nick and Jessica, she had a a, a, like tiny series with her husband where they tried to buy uh, an an inn. Uh, It was called Tori and Dean in Love. uh, And then they had to navigate that while having young children versus dying right now because of the bad pun work. But so Tori Spelling, uh, daughter of Aaron Spelling, uh, if you are unaware, and Aaron Spelling is the creator of a lot of iconic television history, from the Love Boat um, to a lot of other things, and y'all both know I'm going to skip to Charmed. Uh, (laughs) He was the creator of that as well. Um, But this is her first book, and she has written five autobiographies, Um, storytelling, mommy wood, uncharted territory, celebratory, and spelling it like it is. Um, Now, I may have fallen off around uncharted territory, but like I said, she had a hold on me. So this talks about her overall relationship with Hollywood, having had a successful career on 90210 as basically TV's virginal child, um, but then leaving 90210 and kind of having no money and being cut off from her family because her and her mother didn't see eye to eye. And so you've got that kind of like rough mother-daughter relationship. Um, a, a lot of just, but like a, the only thing I can really say about this is she had a chokehold on me and I, I would be remiss if I did not mention this book because like I said, this was my first celebrity memoir and truly because I don't know why I had some sort of like weird queer crush on Tori Spelling in my early high school days. And this is why it pairs with Are You There Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea by Chelsea Handler. Um, My high school best friend, Tara, recommended this book to me and they loved Chelsea Handler. And so this it is just kind of like, I don't know which one I read first, but after reading Chelsea's book, that is when I knew I was going to be reading celebrity memoirs all the time because I found that I could get the tea, I could get the gossip. I could learn about these people that maybe I didn't watch their shows or know much about them. But if I wanted to be kind of embroiled in pop culture, I didn't necessarily have to do all the work of watching 90210 or all the work of watching, you know, Handler's comedy specials. I could read their books, which was always more appealing to me, especially then than just trying to understand what everyone else saw. I could kind of see it myself. So both of these books kind of highlight, you know, both both folks' lives, Satori's so life and Chelsea's lives, and how, um, you know, their, their growing up shaped them. And um, I, I love this line from Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea's description. Um, Whether she's convincing her third grade class that she has been chosen to play Goldie Hawn's daughter in the sequel to Private Benjamin, deciding to be more egalitarian by dating a redhead, Chelsea has a knack for getting herself into the most outrageous situations. Um, I haven't read this in a very long time. I'm sure there are things in there that probably haven't aged well. Um, So that's kind of my warning for this book. But I also love the play on Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So that was Storytelling by Tori Spelling and Are You There Vodka? It's Me Chelsea by Chelsea Handler. And that's, that is what, that's what started this journey for me. So now you all know my shame. (laughs)
2: no that's a vibe and that was very much a like of the time those celebrity memoirs like chelsea handler i remember being a little controversial a little juicy and we were all kind of like whoa what, like what are we going to get in this book
0: it for me it's like of the time a very strange dichotomy of a d-list celebrity and that's Tori spelling and then a comedian with a controversial book and and that was they were they were both like the hot books at the time and also funny enough to uh to talk about the cover for a second Tori's cover is very Hilton.com because she's writing all over a picture of herself in pink so marker
2: <laughs> oh Perez Hilton and that in and of itself is very specific to that time Jeez so
1: question for you. Do you think that she has written all of these books or do you think she just like told stories to a writer and Hmm. they wrote it because Jeanette McCurdy wrote her memoir. Like she talks about, yeah, yeah, she talks about like, I actually wanted to be a writer and my mom was like, no, you're going to be an actress. So like Mm -hmm. her book, you can tell she wrote it. Um, there are other books on my list. You can tell they wrote it. I just want to know, like, at what point are you at too many memoirs? You know, like, <laughs> like I would <laughs> say after
0: two, Tori Spelling was at too many memoirs. I, I, now, of course, like Mommy Wood does talk about her journey into motherhood, um, but you would say, and Tori Spelling, if you hear this, I love you and I will always love you. Um, but if someone wrote this off of her recount. They did a really good job making it seem like she wrote it.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Tori just needed a blog, I think.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We should have signed her up for Zenga.
0: (laughs) She just needed, she needed a MySpace. And I, I think she's got a very interesting blend of like, needed to make some money. And publishing celebrity memoirs was hot. And so like, it got her back on her feet until her career, like, Back
1: up. Yeah. So. Well, if you think she wrote it, that makes it less bad. Cause it's really bad if you have like five memoirs and someone else wrote all of them and you're just like talking at someone, you know, for hours on end, but like David Sedaris, for example, how many books of essays does he have? I adore him. He can, I mean, I hope he writes like 30 more by the time I die, Um, because I probably will die before him. I hope at least I love him so much. Um, But like, just like Tori Spelling, like we don't need, we don't need five memoirs. And and that's not to like shame you for you for recommending her her memoir, but that's a little much.
0: I don't even think I'm recommending her memoir. I'm just saying this was my, my intro into celebrity memoirs, but absolutely five is, Five is too much. I've read two and a half of them. Um, I don't know if I, I would recommend storytelling. If you are curious about the giant that is Aaron Spelling, you get some glimpses. And, and I'd, I'd recommend Chelsea Handler's book, but that I think falls a little more in the like, I think high school me would have recommended it. I have not reread it since high school. And so I hesitate to say like, I don't say that with my full chest, but y'all need to know what shaped me. This is more of an intro to who is Joe
2: fair enough but to your point like how many memoir so like chelsea handler has like six books
0: yeah she's she's got quite a few
2: i she like i had forgotten how many but i think that's interesting because when i would think of like oh right i'm gonna write a memoir of my life i would think like like a like a complete presentation of but what i do think is fascinating is you have these books that i don't know if they're technically like memoirs So much as they're nonfiction essay collections about, and I think packaging them as like, you know, something based on a theme. So, like, these are my stories about like dating and whatever. And that's, you know, a a memoir. And then you have like, I'm completely blank on anything else, but like, she has the one that's travel essays, you know. So I do find that interesting that that sort of style of,
0: Of publishing? Of of
2: publishing has picked up, I think, like quite a bit over the over recent times where it's not strictly a memoir, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is inspired by your real life. And is sort of that short, short story, essay collection.
0: Right. Packaged as maybe a tell all, maybe a memoir, maybe a guide for how you can learn from my stories and let them impact your life.
1: All right. So back in college, I read a graphic memoir called Fun Home, a family tragic comedy, which you've read it, Joe. Yeah. So uh, it told the story of a lesbian who found out her dad was gay like just weeks before he died. And it's a beautiful graphic memoir um, that I also recommend reading. But I bring it up because it kind of ignited a love of graphic memoirs in me. There are so many that I've read, but there's only one that I could find that was written by a celebrity. And that is They Called Us Enemy by George Take. Um, You may know George Take from Star Trek. Uh, but you may not know of his life's journey leading up to stardom, which in part was spent in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. So I felt this memoir was important to include because it's telling a story that I think many Americans only know a few bits and pieces about. I don't know about either of you, and now that I know you're half Japanese, Emma, you probably know quite a bit more than uh, than any of us. But I remember talking about the Japanese internment camps for like three minutes in school before moving on. It was like a paragraph in our book, skimmed over pretty quickly, and then we moved on. So not only does this memoir detail an incredible tragedy that our history books totally glossed over, but he draws many parallels to similar experiences that are happening in present day. Think. ICE detention centers where we're literally just storing kids without their parents, you know? So I don't know. Is our country learning from their mistakes? And if not, then we all need to read this book. Definitely recommend it. Check out They Called Us Enemy by George Take.
2: My last pick is Taste My Life Through Food by Stanley Tucci. Joe, thank you for leaving this off your list so I could add it to my list.
0: Anytime.
2: Stanley Tucci, I love him so much. Oh my gosh. So he's written several cookbooks and he's been in several shows dedicated to his love for food and cooking and finding the best ingredients and things like that. And he's also like a huge actor. So I, don't, <laughs> I led with the cookbooks, but he's also a very famous actor. And Taste is anecdotes about growing up, the intersection of food and life, you know, preparing and shooting foodie films like Big Night and Julie and Julia, falling in love over dinner, teaming up with his wife to create meals for a multitude of children. This is just so pleasant. There's his humor, like just, yes. And he reads the audiobook. So that would be my recommendation to listen to however many hours this, this was of Stanley Tucci reading at you about his favorite recipes growing up and his favorite things to cook now. And I do enjoy those sort of combined efforts. You know, this, isn't a cookbook this isn't recipes per se but he does give recipes to some of these iconic meals throughout his life you know he reflects on you know the only dish that his father made very confidently for them on friday nights and some of those things that his mother used to make and this was just so delightful so if you're a stanley tucci fan or if you are into that intersection of cooking and memoir? Check out "Taste My Life Through Food" by Stanley Tucci.
0: My answer is yes. I would love to listen to him read to me, and I love that intersection of of storytelling. And here's a recipe that reminds me of something.
2: Yes, and my but my favorite line from this book. I admit I'm only about halfway through because I kept putting this off uh, my to be read list. There's so many good books out, but he said, I think some of the best bread in Italy is in France.
1: I will forever love Stanley Tucci for his role in The Devil Wears Prada, the iconic movie, which is based off a book and also very good. I think I read it in middle school. Why my mom was like, yeah, you'll love this book about a fashion mogul like treating her employees poorly. I have no idea, but my mom recommended it to me as a middle schooler and so good. Love Stanley Tucci in the film adaptation. So uh, this was one of the books that I wanted to give a a trigger warning about. And that's Over the Top, A Raw Journey uh, to Self-Love by Jonathan Van Ness. When they use raw journey in the title, they truly mean it. Van Ness touches on just about every topic, every tough topic that you can think of from the death of a parent to sexual abuse. This memoir was everything I wanted it to be when I first heard that they were releasing a book. It's devastating yet powerful. It'll make you cry and then it'll make you laugh within the same paragraph. I mean, they literally give everyone in the book Russian aliases to protect their identity because they have a fascination with the Romanovs that dates back to their time spent watching Anastasia as a kid. And that's something that I absolutely adore about Jonathan Van Ness is uh, that they have a curiosity that really like lights this path that they have to go down and dive deep into like topics that they're super curious about. I mean, they are super into gymnastics, ice skating. Like, I wish I had their motivation (laughs) because I'm like, that's a pretty cool activity. I'll never do it. Maybe watch a couple of YouTubes about it. But they like really kind of give everything into every kind of curiosity that they have. I cannot reiterate enough just how much I love Jonathan Van Ness because they use their platform to educate and to expo- inspire, whether it's diving deep into important topics like climate, cha- climate change on their podcast, Getting Curious, or popping onto Instagram Live to speak about upcoming bills that are on the ballot that can impact minorities, specifically the LGBTQ plus community. Um, They are also a huge proponent of therapy, which we love. So what I think is important about this memoir is that it shows that you can go through horrible experiences and still find it in yourself to be kind and most importantly, reach your own self-love. So like I said, trigger warning, lots of tough topics in this memoir. Uh, Van Ness talks about their HIV positive status. Um, and gets gets really, really raw in this memoir. But I, I really loved every second of it.
0: So my last title, uh, this is probably one of the most recent books on the list. Um, but I have to start with a quick moment. Uh, my next author just recently passed away. And I was so greatly saddened. I have a deep end to some secret love of country Western music. Uh, that is to say that very classic style of country music, not like country as you think of today about solo cups and how sexy my tractor is. Uh, but that like Grand Ole Opry style, Dolly Parton, Patsy, uh, Loretta, like, you know, that is that is my sweet spot. And of course also Orville Peck because he is in that like country folk uh, range of, of country uh, that to me is just so beautiful. So my last book is Me and Patsy Kicking Up Dust, My Friendship with Patsy Klein by Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn and the late Patsy Cline are legends, country icons, and sisters at heart. For the first time ever, Loretta tells their story, a celebration of their music and their relationship up until Patsy's tragic and untimely death. It's full of laughter and tears, it's eye-opening and heartwarming, and this memoir just really paints a picture of two stubborn and spirited country gals who'd be damned if they'd let men or convention tell them how to be. It's set in the heady streets of the 1960s South, it's a nostalgia ride, and it shows how Nashville blossomed into the city of music it is today. Both tender and fierce, Me and Patsy Kicking Up Dust is an up-close and personal portrait of a friendship that defined a generation and changed the country music industry indelibly. And it's also a really helpful meditation on love, loss, and what it means to forge a legacy. So that is Me and Patsy Kicking Up Dust by Loretta Lynn.
1: I love a good celebrity friendship.
0: Yes. And this one is incredibly beautiful because like Patsy Cline helped Loretta forge her career and not in the sense of like, n- not just the like connections and-, and whatnot. It was really about like, she needed the support of, of a real legitimate friend. And yeah, Ugh. Mm. it's it's so heartfelt.
1: Yeah, I especially love that because I think, When you are trying to reach a level of fame that someone else is also trying to reach and they're kind of in your same niche, it can be easy to just have them be the enemy, you know, like they're impeding my journey to fame. So that's why I don't love celebrities, but like, I'd love a celebrity friendship because you know that those people are putting that all aside and putting friendship first rather than fame first
0: absolutely so if y'all need a really heartfelt story of celebrity friendship this is one for you uh, and you can always find some great music to go along with it wherever you get your music uh my favorite patsy klein song is walking after midnight and my favorite loretta lynn song is i never will marry uh thought i would throw those two out there (laughs) marissa could you delight us with your final book
1: All right. My last pick. I saved the best for last because I honestly enjoyed this one the most, but I also saved it for last because if you know anything about Seth Rogen and those things you don't like, then just skip the rest of this podcast (laughs) because you won't want to read this. Um, But I am recommending Yearbook by Seth Rogen. This book had me crying with laughter I enjoyed every story that Seth Rogen told from innocent stories about how he went from a Jewish private small elementary school into public school where there were pregnant teenagers. And he was like, you could have told me that I was going to start going to school with a mastodon and I would have believed it more than seeing a pregnant teenager for the first time I don't think that that is exactly what it was but just like I just oh so so funny but then also stories about like running around Amsterdam you know doing their thing lots of entertaining stories celebrities can be great writers because they know the formula and Seth Rogen knows the formula I'm telling you I love this book so much that I forced my husband to read it. And he ended up loving it as well. So if you are down to read stories about a little Jewish kid growing up in Canada and becoming, you know, someone kind of on the wrong side of the tracks a little bit as an adult, um, I really recommend yearbook by Seth Rogen. So funny.
0: No, that's fantastic. Any book that can make you cry from laughter, we want on the list.
1: Literal tears. I did not love Seth Rogen. I would group Seth Rogen into like gross out comedy, which is my least favorite type of comedy. It wasn't until I either listened to an interview on a podcast or I watched an interview on Hot Ones, the YouTube series of him and he talked about how he like got super into pottery and like made a pottery you know room in his house and how he like is like got all those creative juices flowing and I was like Seth Rogen might be pretty cool (laughs) so that's kind of what uh, made me turn change my tune a little bit on Seth Rogen I used to not really care for him but yeah, this book has a little bit of the gross out comedy, but overall, I think it is so, so, so funny. I recommend listening to Yearbook in the audiobook format because there are over 80 voice actors that participated in the production, and that includes comedians like Jason Segel, Nick Kroll, and Dan Aykroyd. It's truly like listening to a six-hour stand-up comedy show. Okay. I have one final question for everyone before we wrap up. And that is what celebrity memoir would you love to read? This could be someone who's alive or dead, but they do not have a memoir out already.
0: Oh, oh, that's a great question, Marissa.
1: I'm like, hold, please. That's a really good question. When I was thinking of my own answer, I was like Eminem. Absolutely. Like Eminem has such a tumultuous journey to fame you know um very very interesting if you haven't seen Eminem's movie gosh what is that even called
0: the green not the green mile green 8 mile.
1: mile 8 mile yes i was like no green mile yeah <laughs> you're right um it is so good. it's surprisingly a really good movie i think let's look up its Rotten Tomatoes score before I say that publicly. Yeah
0: let's hit the thermometer first.
1: Oh yeah 75% that's pretty good for like a celebrity movie but he has a memoir and I didn't even know it and it's rated as it has great Goodreads rating ratings as well.
0: Okay because I was like oh yeah that's a great that's a great point I would happily read Eminem's memoir because I was, I was going to say like, that feels like a foil to Jeanette's book, almost like he's got a wild, like a wild relationship at home with family. He's got an interesting overall upbringing, like what brought him to celebrity.
1: Already exists. Yeah. The way I am, that will be the next celebrity memoir that I read.
2: The one I, well, it's upcoming is uh, Harry, Prince Harry's memoir. I would love to read that. Okay. That's meant to be forthcoming. That's what are
1: you hoping hoping like you get from
2: his memoir? The tea. <laughs> the un- Why do we read Eddie memoir? The, un- the tea. Filtered tea. The unfiltered tea on the royal fam. Do you really think it's gonna be unfiltered? There has to be some level of filter to the tea that he's writing, right? I think so. I think he'll have a, I expect he'll have a level of restraint while still having a memoir that is candid. If that makes sense. That was the first person that came to mind. Just very timely. I
1: think I would choose Dax Shepard. Actually, I would love like the co, I don't know, maybe not a co memoir, but Zach Shepard, I think, first of all, funny enough to be able to like make it entertaining, but has also struggled with addiction and has been very open about that in his podcast. So I think he could write a pretty entertaining, but also um a, a memoir full of lessons about, you know, addiction and how to. Uh, maintain sobriety he he actually fell off the wagon um, sometime last year or the year before which like can we blame him the pandemic kind of like ruined us all for a little bit Um, and he put out a podcast episode shortly after that And it was very raw. It was very real, um, opened up about what it was like to hide that from his wife, Kristen Bell, the kids, the people that he worked with. And to get that much honesty in an hour, I think what he could do in a full book would be pretty awesome.
0: Okay. uh, Richard Simmons. I want a Richard Simmons memoir. That's that's my realist answer. Well, thank you all so much for listening. This is a long one, but there are so many wonderful things to say and so many things that had to be said about the books we talked about today. Thank you so much, Marissa, for joining us today and putting the nerves aside. Uh, I hope you will come back in the future.
1: Totally happy to be here and happy to come back on uh, eventually.
0: Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Remember, readers can sample and and borrow the titles Instagram, today's episode on OverDrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles your Marketplace. Professional Professional Book Nerds is proud to be Evergreen Podcast's signature program. program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit EvergreenPodcast.com.
2: Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by OverDrive. To learn more, visit ProfessionalBookNerds.com.